Next, we shall consider a vegetarian view of the Torah. In the very first chapter of the Torah, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, God indicates his intention that people should be vegetarians. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for food. When the world was created, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything in the universe was as God wanted it, with nothing superfluous and nothing lacking, a complete harmony. The vegetarian diet was consistent with God's initial plan. The great Jewish Torah commentators, including Rashi, Ibn Ezra, Maimonides, and Nachmanides, all agree that God's first dietary law was strictly vegetarian. But people are not always ready to live up to God's highest ideals. By the time of Noah, humanity had degenerated greatly. Genesis 6.12 states, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. People had sunk so low they would even eat a limb torn from a living animal. As a concession to people's weakness, permission to eat meat was then given in Genesis 9.3. However, the permission given to Noah to eat meat was not unconditional. There was an immediate prohibition against eating blood. This was the first of many dietary restrictions, the laws of Kashrut or the kosher laws. Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cohen Cook, the first chief rabbi of pre-state Israel and a highly respected and beloved Jewish spiritual leader in the early 20th century, believed that the permission to eat meat was only a temporary concession. According to Rabbi Cook, because people had sunk to an extremely low level of spirituality, it was necessary that they be given an elevated image of themselves as compared to animals, and that they concentrate their efforts into first improving relationships between people. He felt that were people denied the right to eat meat, they might eat the flesh of human beings due to their inability to control their lusts for flesh. He regards the permission to slaughter animals for food as a, quote, transitional tax, unquote, or temporary dispensation until a brighter era is reached when people would return to vegetarian diets. According to Isaac Rama, author of Akedat Yitzchak, and others, after the Israelites left Egypt, God tried to establish another non-meat diet, manna. Manna is described in the Torah as a vegetarian food, like coriander seed. The people were not satisfied, however, with a simple diet of manna which sustained them in the desert. The children of Israel complained, Would that we were given flesh to eat. God was very angry and Moses was displeased. Finally, God provided meat in the form of quail, which were brought by a wind from the sea. While the flesh was in their mouth, before it was chewed, the anger of God was kindled against the people. He struck them with a great plague. The place where this incident occurred was named Kivrat Tava, the graze of lust, to indicate that the lust for flesh led to the many deaths. While the manna, their stable food in the desert, kept them in good health for 40 years, many deaths occurred when they deviated from the simple diet. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, animals could only be slaughtered and eaten as part of the sacrificial service in the sanctuary. Maimonides stated that the sacrifices were a concession to the primitive practices of the nations at that time. Finally, God permitted people to eat meat even if it wasn't part of a sacrificial offering. Deuteronomy 12.20 states, When the Lord your God shall enlarge your border as he promised, you shall say, I will eat flesh because your soul desires to eat flesh. You may eat flesh after all the desire of your soul. This permitted meat was called basa ta'ava, meat of lust, so named because meat is not considered a necessity for life. 
The above verse does not command that people eat meat. Rabbinic tradition perceives it to indicate that it is people's desire to eat flesh and not God's edict that people do so. Even while arguing against vegetarianism as a moral cause, Rabbi Elijah Judah Shochet, author of Animal Life and Jewish Tradition, concedes that scripture does not command the Israelite to eat meat, but rather permits desire as a concession to lust. Similarly, another critic of vegetarian activism, Rabbi J. David Bleich, a noted modern Torah scholar and professor at Yeshiva University, concedes, The implication is that meat may be consumed when there is desire and appetite for it as food, but may be avoided when there is not desire, and especially when it is found to be repugnant. In short, again, according to Rabbi Bleich, Jewish tradition does not command carnivorous behavior. The Torah looks favorably on vegetarian foods. Flesh foods are often mentioned with distaste and are associated with lust, lack of control over one's appetite for meat. There is no special bracha or blessing recited before eating meat or fish as there is for other foods such as bread, cake, wine, fruits, and vegetables. The blessing for meat is a general one, the same as that over water or any other undifferentiated food. Along with permission to eat meat, many laws and restrictions, the laws of kashrut, were given. Rabbi Cook believed that the reprimand implied by these regulations is an elaborate apparatus designed to keep alive a sense of reverence for life with the aim of eventually leading people back to vegetarian diets. Rabbi Cook and Joseph Albo believe that in the days of the Messiah, people will again be vegetarians. They base this on the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 6 to 9, And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and none shall hurt nor destroy in all of God's holy mountain. Today, most Jews eat meat, but the high ideal of God, the initial vegetarian dietary law, still stands supreme in the Bible for Jews and the whole world to see, an ultimate goal toward which all people should strive. So, in conclusion, a strong case for vegetarianism can be made based on Torah teachings and Jewish values. We will now try to address some questions that are frequently asked about vegetarianism. If one does become a vegetarian and cuts out uh, meat and possibly fish and uh, dairy products from one's diet, aren't they going to be missing a whole bunch of critical nutrients and amino acids and vitamins? Well, actually, you can get all that you need from a vegetarian diet. The only one that is a little questionable is vitamin B12, and all you need is micrograms of that, and that can easily be obtained if a test shows you need it through enriched soy products and enriched cereals, for example. But there are a few myths out there, so I'm glad you raised this question, because a lot of people do stay away from vegetarianism because... They feel, how do I get enough protein, which, by the way, is the number one question we vegetarians get, or perhaps, how do we get enough calcium? Don't we need dairy products for that? These are tremendous myths, and I'd like to really address them now. For example, in terms of protein, here is the amazing fact that a human mother's milk is only 5% of its calories in protein, but a rat's mother's milk is 47%. So somehow the nutritionists in the past did all the experiments on rats, and of course they do need a lot of protein. When we grow the fastest, when we double our birth weight in our first six months, we're getting only 5% of the calories with protein. So in any reasonably well-balanced diet, you can get more than enough protein because it's not only in the animal products. It's in a wide variety of plants. 
certainly in nuts and seeds and grains. And Popeye had it right. Spinach has over 50% of its calories in protein, for example. Now, in terms of calcium, here, too, it's another myth because the reality is that the countries that get the most dairy products, like the U.S., Scandinavian countries, for example, have the most osteoporosis. And that's related to that protein issue because most people get far too much protein, much more than they need. And unlike the fat and the carbohydrates that we can store in our bodies, all that excess protein is excreted. But before that, because of its high nitrogen content, it acidifies the blood, and the body, in counteracting that, takes calcium from the bones, and eventually that's excreted. So we do need calcium, no doubt about it. You can get it from a wide variety of plant products, but if you're getting it from dairy and usual other animal products, you're going to be getting too much animal protein, you're going to be excreting a lot of that calcium, so even though you're taking in a lot, you still can have a negative calcium balance. So when the bottom line is a good, well-balanced, nutritious, vegetarian diet, exactly the kind of diet that God indicated in the very first chapter of the Bible is the one that can keep us healthier and also can help preserve the health of our precious but imperiled planet. If, as you stated, Judaism professes that a vegetarian life is the best life and clearly indicates it in any number of references, why didn't God simply put it as one of the big commandments, so to speak? I mean, he outright tells people they shouldn't kill, they shouldn't steal, they shouldn't commit adultery, and he does that for a reason, obviously. If it was so good for man, why doesn't he just say, thou shalt not eat meat? God's first dietary laws, we indicated in the talk before, were strictly vegetarians, right in the first chapter, Genesis 1, Chapter 29, but it also indicated people are not always ready to live up to God's ideals. As you know, there's much in the Torah also about slavery, there's much about warfare, and there's a lot of laws related to that that discourage people from getting involved in these activities. And the same thing here, God is searching for the righteous individual. He didn't make us as angels. He's given us some free will, some choices, but I believe very strongly that he prefers that we be vegetarian because he prefers that we be healthy, he prefers that we do not mistreat and kill animals, he prefers that his beautiful environment he's given us be preserved, that we use resources, but use them sparingly and not wastefully. Very well and good, but I think you may be taking this a step uh, beyond me. I mean, let's suppose you didn't mistreat animals, that they were raised in a free-range kind of environment where they were given uh, all the freedom they wanted, ultimately being slaughtered according to Jewish tradition, which is painless. Why mm -hmm. wouldn't that satisfy uh, one's concern for the welfare mm -hmm. of animals and provide a diet that obviously uh, a lot of us enjoy? Okay, that is a tremendous, tremendous if. If that happened, it would be a, a great, great step forward. But you're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry. You're talking about factory farming. First of all, the cost of meat would skyrocket, which would be great for us because that would discourage people from eating it. You know, in biblical days, people maybe ate meat once in a while. It was a special occasion. Now it's a daily event, sometimes two or three times every single day. So if that happened, that would be one of the most revolutionary things. And I can tell you the animal industry would fight it tooth and nail because they are profiting tremendously from the way that things are now. Would you, though, change your ideas mm. about eating meat if farms or a limited number of farms mm -hmm. raised animals according mm -hmm. uh, 
Okay, if that occurred, I'm, and that was true 20, 30 years ago, I might never have become a vegetarian. Now that I am, I realize that there's no need, no matter what, for taking one of God's defenseless creatures and killing that animal. Because no matter what, animals still are made up primarily of protein and fat, and most people get too much of both of these. So there's absolutely no need for animals in the diet. Thank God there's so many great substitutes that we can have. So it would be a tremendous step forward. Then maybe I wouldn't be as much of a, an activist as I am, but the reality is that it's not only a mistreatment of animals. Because of that, we're wasting resources, we're polluting the environment, we're increasing health care costs astronomically, and because of that, our whole medical profession has changed. The doctors are very unhappy today because some decisions are made by economists or accountants because we just can't afford to keep going. Medical costs were doubling every six years until recently. I'm just wondering, though, maybe this whole health issue and our diet may not be really related to diet. Perhaps it may have more to do with uh, additives to food, to environmental issues such as pollution, the ozone layer, various uh, radiation effects and what have you, and that this idea that it is diet that's causing our decline in health uh, really may be overblown. Well, we certainly have to make changes in all those areas as well. This should be a prime thing because it's indicated taking care of our health is at least arguably the most important mitzvah in Judaism. But there's some very powerful evidence that indicates that diet is a very strong factor. A couple of examples. In wartime, Denmark, World War II, a time of great stress, they were forced pretty much into a vegetarian diet because of blockades, again, wartime conditions, and the death rate went down about 34%, only to increase again right after the war when they went back to the animal-based diet. And something the New York Times called the Grand Prix of Epidemiology, a major epidemiological study in China, showed that when you go from one community to another in China, where the fat content is different in the diet, the more animal protein, the more animal fat, the more health problems we have. So and another proof sort of tying in with Genesis that I didn't mention before is that, again, God's first dietary rule was vegetarian, and this is consistent with what modern evolutionary and other science is finding, that our body is really not designed for this kind of diet. Our intestinal system is very different, much, much longer than that of a carnivorous animal. We don't have the teeth, the claws of an animal. Our stomach acids are only one twentieth as strong as that of an animal. So just listen on the radio, TV, all the advertisements for these antacids, for all the digestive help kinds of products, and these are some of the evidences that diet is a factor. doesn't mean we shouldn't also be concerned with the environment and all the chemicals in, in the atmosphere. Well, I could argue about the physiological aspects of humans as it relates to diet, but I would venture to say that if you look around, and in, in general you look at people, there are certainly plenty of healthy people that do eat meat, and uh, perhaps uh, a lot of vegetarians that uh, can't measure up to the physical prowess mm. of, of, of the meat eaters. And I think the fact that we have molars in the back of our mouth to grind meat, and in general that if eating meat was not good for us, uh, it would have um, certainly... Uh, changed mankind over the thousands of years.
Well, look at the bottom line. Look at the uh, epidemic of diseases we see all around us. I mean, the cancer, the heart attack, etc. Whereas in other countries they have far less. And another important factor is the so-called migration studies. There's certain kinds of cancer that's very rare in Japan. But when these people move to the U.S., one generation later, they're having these diseases almost the same rate as that in the U.S. Also, if you look at the normal curve, there's a little bit of an overlap. I'm not saying that every vegetarian is going to be healthier than every meat eater. We all know the famous story of the great-grandfather who was 96 and smoked two packs a day and ate meat every day and stayed up four hours at night, etc., etc. But maybe that person still would have lived another seven, eight years longer. But we do know, and many scientific studies are showing this over and over, that there's less heart disease, less cancer of all different types, less chronic degenerative diseases in general in countries where they have less of these animal products. Can we assume, based on, on what you're saying, that ultimately there won't be any meat eaters left in the world because they are in effect killing themselves, ingesting these fats and these poisons and these additives, uh, not getting enough exercise, not mm -hmm. caring about the environment, are you taking a pessimistic outlook on the future of mankind? Well, you could take a pessimistic outlook, partly for what you said, but also because the world really can't sustain for much longer this animal-based diet. Because in addition to the health problems we've been discussing, the environmental problems are very great. Just uh, very recently, the world passed 6 billion people, but there's 50 billion animals out there and the animal agricultural industry wants to double that in only 20 years. And the amount of waste from these animals polluting our waters, the amount of land we need for the animals to grow the grain, the amount of pesticides, and we're cutting down tropical rainforests largely to produce grazing land and feedlot producing land for these animals. And animal-based agriculture also is a major contributor to global warming because of a burning down of the tropical rainforest and the huge amounts of methane emitted by the 1.3 billion cows in the world today, etc. So the world could not sustain this if a much higher percentage of the world tried to have an animal-based diet, the kind of diet we have here in the U.S., it would have even more devastating effects on the world's environment. Wow, you covered a lot in, in a few short sentences. I sometimes get the feeling when you're talking that you're elevating animals to almost the level of humans in terms of personality and feelings, and uh, I can't see that really being the case, especially if you look at something uh, like the fish kingdom being uh, mm -hmm. certainly on a lower mm -hmm. scale uh, or a hierarchy uh, when you're talking about beef-type animals. Why wouldn't uh, you advocate fish as a substitute food? Well, first of all, as you well know, Judaism considers people as created Selim Elohim in God's image and considers people at a higher level than animals. So Jewish vegetarians do not have to consider that animals are at the same level as people, but thank God Judaism has such powerful teachings with regard to animals. As I said, part of the Ten Commandments and many biblical laws related to this, the person cannot even sit down to their own meal before making sure the needs of the animals are met. The great Jewish heroes, Moses, King David, chosen for compassion for animals. Book of Proverbs, as was indicated, says a righteous person considers the life of his or her animal. So that is very powerful Jewish teachings. In terms of fish, there certainly is a difference there, but once again, not necessary, and as you well know, our waters are so polluted, and that builds up in the body fats, 
overfishing of the sea creatures so that that can be dangerous. We're also overfishing the waters tremendously today, and that's another problem. And once again, fish is composed 100% of protein and fat, no carbohydrate, no fiber. So it is not necessary, not to mention the tremendous pain that these fish go through. In addition, we're overfishing the waters. We're making quote-unquote deserts in the waters in effect. And many of the richest fishing areas are now uh, almost devoid of fish. I'm sure a person dedicated to vegetarian like yourself is doing a multitude of things. Uh, maybe you can tell me what you're doing, but probably I'll be more interested in what I can do with an ordinary person mm -hmm. who is interested in vegetarian diets. How does one get the word out? Well, let me start with that second part because that's what I'm trying to urge. I hope you and everybody else listening will go to your local rabbi, your local minister, write a letter to the editor, speak to people, and bring up these issues because the future of our planet really depends on it. I've been uh, devoting a great deal of my life, especially since I just retired not too long ago, to the vegetarianism cause because I think it's a global societal imperative. Initially, in 1982, I came out with a book called Judaism and Vegetarianism, second edition in 1988. Much of that is now at my internet site. I've got all kinds of distribution lists. I've got all kinds of articles relating every single Jewish holiday to vegetarianism, and just every day trying to establish a dialogue. Every person in this audience can play a, a very important role by helping to spread the word on this. Uh, one last question, uh, Professor Schwartz, and it relates to how we started here. Uh, in 25 words or less, can you tell me why I shouldn't have that roast beef sandwich right now? Switching to a vegetarian is the most important thing you can do for your health, the most important thing you can do for animals, for the environment, for conserving resources, for helping the hungry, for reducing the violence in this world. It's the most important thing you can do to show that Jewish values are applicable to what is happening in the world today. You'll feel much better. You know, it's like uh, somebody once said about a sin where you say, oh, how marvelous, but later on you, you, you feel the negative effects and all. So you may have a little temporary pleasure out of that. And one other thing, it's gone beyond my 25 words, but there's so many wonderful substitutes nowadays for the roast beef and other things. And more and more good taste. There are some so good you couldn't even tell it was meat. And they don't have the additives, the hormones, the antibiotics that are having such a devastating effect on your health, a concerned Jew, a committed Jew, somebody who wants to put Jewish values into practice. Other substitutes for the roast beef would be far more consistent with these Jewish values. So I urge you to stay away from that roast beef sandwich. Thank you for listening. For more information on Judaism and vegetarianism, Please read Dr. Schwartz's book, Judaism and Vegetarianism, and visit his website, jewishveg.com. To join Jewish Vegetarians of North America, write to 6938 Reliance Road, Federalsburg, Maryland, 21632. For more information about vegetarianism in general, please visit goveg.com. Com. For a free vegetarian starter kit, please call 1-888-VEG-FOOD. That's 
1-888-VEG-F-O-O-D.